There's no secret formula for scaling support and boosting customer satisfaction. But there is the all-new service hub from HubSpot, bringing service and support together in one powerful platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible and free up reps' time with an AI-powered help desk. Also, you can keep customers happy. Secrets out. Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. Howdy, folks. It is Tuesday, January 31st. I'm Jacob Cohen here with Juliet Bennett-Ryla, and you are listening to The Hustle Daily Show. Today, we're going to be talking about a wide range of things. I'm going to be breaking down some drama around India's richest man, and Juliet is going to be discussing an interesting drug experiment out of British Columbia. But before we get to all that, let's take a look at what else is going on in the world of business and tech. Let's get crack a All right, first things first, prominent Apple analyst Ming-Chi Kuo is positive, he says, that the company will drop a foldable iPad in 2024. Apple is also reportedly now sourcing AirPods components in India, part of a broader shift we recently wrote about. And analysts also expect the company to post its first year-over-year quarterly revenue decline since 2019, following some notable manufacturing shutdowns in China, which affected holiday deliveries. Analysts expect Apple to report just over $121 billion in revenue, down from $123.9 billion a year ago. Julia, what do you got? Well, Samsung is expected to unveil three Galaxy S23 smartphones and a line of Galaxy Book laptops at its unpacked event on February 1. The Ultra seems pretty impressive. It's rumored to come with a very sharp camera and a stylus, but it is rumored to cost significantly more. So like $1,200 as opposed to the standard $800. And speaking of pricing, Ford is ramping up production and cutting the prices of its electric Mustang Mach-E following price cuts by Tesla. Tesla's price cuts, which helped push their stock up rapidly these last couple of weeks, were seen as a great way to drum up demand and increase sales. Ford, by the way, was the second best-selling automaker of EVs last year in the U.S., selling more than 65,000 electric vehicles. Though Tesla, the number one seller, was estimated to sell more than 520,000 in the U.S., according to CNBC. So Trader Joe's, everyone loves Trader Joe's, I think. Yeah, that's safe to say. So they have this product survey and this year, their 14th annual product survey named its chili and lime flavored rolled tortilla chips as customers top product. Other winners included the hold the cone mini ice cream cones, butter chicken and sparkling honey crisp apple juice. Mm. Notably, however, some five-time winners are omitted from voting and instead placed in a Hall of Fame. <laughs> Those are going to be some of the products you remember, the mandarin orange chicken, the dark chocolate peanut butter cups. Oh, yes. And then those little uh, like pretzel nuggets that are full of peanut butter that everyone eats all the time. Those are Hall of Famers. Those are Hall of Famers. I currently have the dark chocolate peanut butter cups in my pantry. Uh, and I think you're right. It's safe to say I don't think there's anyone out there who hates Trader Joe's. Yeah, I hate the parking lot. <laughs> And But I love the store, so it's worth it. <laughs> That's fair. Speaking of spending money, Twitter is reportedly filing for U.S. regulatory licenses required to offer payments processing, which is all part of Elon Musk's grand plan to turn the platform into a super app. The Financial Times reported that Esther Crawford, who it says is a fast-rising lieutenant to Musk inside Twitter, has started to map out 
The architecture needed to facilitate this type of payments platform with a small team there. Payments can mean, by the way, anything from e-commerce to tipping to subscriptions to Venmo-like peer-to-peer payments. And a lot of payments already kind of happen through the app. People link to different ways to pay for things. So this makes a lot of sense and feels like a natural progression anyway. Mm -hmm. But it'll be interesting to see how it all rolls out. Right. So France bought a painting with donations from luxury brand LVMH. They paid $40 million to add Gustave Kaibat's impressionist work, A Boating Party, to its national art collection. It is a picture of a guy in a top hat in a boat. What's interesting to me about this guy, Kaibat, is so he's obviously a painter. He did a lot of paintings, but he was also very rich and a patron of the arts. So he spent a lot of time collecting his friends' paintings. So Renoir, Monet, people you have definitely heard of and supporting them financially. And he gave their work to the French state. So that's part of an Impressionist collection at the Musée d'Orsay or Dorsey Museum in Paris. But he didn't do that with his own work. Mm. So now he will finally get to go and join his friends in the museum. Well, now I'd like to tell you a little bit about some drama surrounding India's richest man, Gautam Adani. He's an Indian business magnate who's the chairman and founder of the Adani Group, which is a multinational conglomerate with arms and gas power, ports, media, and others. It's worth hundreds of billions of dollars. People, interestingly, by the way, have long been a little skeptical of the business and its valuations because some of the firms have just extremely high price-to-earnings ratios, Mm -hmm. not even seen in like high-growth tech stocks. Last week, a lengthy, and I mean lengthy, report from short seller firm Hindenburg Research accused the business of all kinds of fraud. Then the report slashed some $70 billion of value off of these companies in total. In the report, Hindenburg identified what it believes are all kinds of offshore shell entities that Adani Group uses for manipulating finances. This was kind of funny, honestly. They shed light on a seemingly minuscule accounting company with 11 employees and (laughs) like a very small uh, rent payment. that it says is responsible for auditing Adani Enterprises. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, (laughs) how is that possible? And they listed 88 questions that they said which should be easy questions for them to answer if they are really transparent about their business. Mm. Over the weekend, Adani Group issued a brief little (laughs) 430-page response, very creatively titled as Adani Response. Okay, to the point. (laughs) Yep. And Adani said his rebuttal answered 65 of Hindenburg's questions. Hindenburg said, that's not true. It has failed to answer still 62 of them. And it was just totally just a nationalistic driven piece, Mm. kind of equating Adani's success with the success of India as a whole. And shares of Adani firms sank lower Monday. It's looking like it's not going to be another fun week for Mm. the Adani group. Let's just say that. Yeah, this whole story consists of random numbers that I don't think make sense in the context in which they're presented. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Juliet. So what should we know about this drug experiment that's going on in Canada right now? So I think this is really interesting. So for three years in British Columbia, small amounts of drugs, so that's about 2.5 grams, are decriminalized, and that includes hard drugs like cocaine or heroin. Some drugs are already legal, so cannabis is already legal in Canada. So what's surprising is that it's just like the kind of drugs you think of as being very illegal. Now you can have small amounts. Yes. 
That is crazy. Now, decriminalization, as most people probably know, doesn't mean it's legal for you to just do this all of a sudden. It just means that you will not be arrested or jailed if you're caught. Instead, in this case, you'll receive information on treatment or other resources. The idea is instead of criminalizing people for doing drugs, it would help them get off drugs. Drug trafficking, however, so, you know, selling drugs, that is still illegal. So will this be kind of a smart decision from an economic perspective, from a socioeconomic perspective? So there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to policies like these. But basically, the idea behind decriminalization is you would see substance use and addiction as a health issue and not a crime. So if you think of somebody who may be struggling right now, they may be reluctant to say, hey, I need help because they're afraid that they're going to be punished. We know from the war on drugs, which has cost the United States alone over a trillion dollars and has not worked to date, that criminalizing drugs is often very expensive and it often doesn't work. We also know that incarceration itself is very expensive. But I was reading in the New York Times that some of these other methods actually end up being less expensive. Let's say you invest a dollar in a syringe exchange program, Mm -hmm. meaning that people can come to you. If they're going to use the needles anyway, they can come to you and they can get a clean one. That actually saves up to $6 on costs associated with having to treat patients with HIV who get it from using needles that aren't clean. The best example of this is Portugal. Portugal did this in 2001. Drug use is not up. It's actually down. There was a brief uptick in people experimenting with things, but overall drug usage is down. They have seen a significant decrease in opioid deaths, diseases associated with injection use, how crowded their prisons are, drug-related crimes. And Oregon had actually done this a very short time ago, just in 2020. Mm. The biggest criticism that I'm seeing is if you're going to do this, you have to roll out all the programs at the same time. You can't just be like, hey, you can walk around with drugs and get a fine or whatever, but not help the people who are actually like, hey, uh, I'm not a criminal, but I would like to not do drugs. Like all of that infrastructure needs to be in place. Otherwise, it's just kind of a meh. Right. You know, there's other nations who are like, we would like drugs to be decriminalized because the sale of drugs wreaks havoc on what's going on here. Right. We have seen certain drugs where researchers have been like, hey, there's a benefit here. And they go from being illegal to being something that you can buy from a boutique on Main Street that looks like an Apple store, <laughs> yes. as is the case with cannabis. Yes, and <laughs> soon probably mushrooms. Exactly. That is the thing that I think we're going to see next. Oregon is already doing a thing where you can use them in a therapeutic setting. We're seeing that with ketamine. I think some of these drugs are going to be decriminalized and then legalized and then regulated. And then we're going to see markets pop up because of them. Absolutely. And bada bing, bada boom, that's going to do it for us today, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor today is Robert Hartwig. Our executive producer is Darren Clark. We've got a lot more tech and business coverage in our newsletter. If you're not subscribed, you can sign up at thehustle.co slash email. Hope you have a terrific Tuesday. See you tomorrow. Hey, everybody, I got a great podcast to tell you about. It's called Truth, Lies, and Work, and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. On this show, you can join husband and wife team Alan, Leanne, Elliot, as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. They actually just did an episode with John Smith, who is the manager and agent of famous Argentinian soccer player Diego Maradona. 
He talks about in this episode how he was able to manage the global superstar athlete celebrity that Maradona is and was. It's a great listen. You better get out there and check it out. And you can listen to Truth, Lies, and Work wherever you get your podcasts.